Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I need to give time to a place. I need to immerse myself. I need to understand a culture more, which is why I go back to places and I don't just try to fill the passport. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this episode with Chris Burkard. Chris is an icon in the adventure world. He's a photographer by trade and blurs the lines beautifully between art and journalism. He's a global phenomenon with a massive social media presence and has gone on to define a corner of the adventure photography genre. I met Chris when I was interviewing him live on stage at an event in London for 66 Degrees North. We spent a few hours together before the event and managed to record a quick podcast. In the episode, we talk about his humble background and his journey into surfing, adventure and photography. We get all deep and drift into armchair philosophy mode and go heavy on ethics and personal values. It's an episode I loved recording and Chris assures me he's up for a longer follow-up one day soon. Before we begin, I'd like to mention that we're on Patreon. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and would like to access extra content, including InVision interviews and monthly sit-downs with me and a guest, then you can find us on Patreon at The Adventure Podcast. I'd also like to talk to you about Sidetrack magazine, our sister publication. Sidetrack is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. You can find out more at sidetracked.com. I'd also like to take a quick moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. They're a wonderful organisation working to get young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into the outdoors. You can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They're a big help, and it really does help us bring the podcast to a wider audience. Okay, over to Chris Burkhardt. So let's start with the logical start point. Please, could you just introduce yourself? Tell me who you are, what you do. Yeah, my name is Chris Burkhardt. I am a photographer. Uh, by trade, um, but I'd say that nowadays my days are more filled with being a dad and a father and all the things that come with that. And uh, I run a studio in Pismo Beach, California, where we do full service production, um, films, and you know, uh, commercial type work. And my my over the last ten years, fifteen years, almost eighteen years now, geez, um, I've really tried to focus on documenting kind of the human experience within these more grandiose, beautiful landscapes that I feel truly um, passionate about, truly empowered by. So that's me. Ace. And so where does all this start for you? Where does it start? Oh, good question. Um, Well, as I've said before, and I'll say again, I did not pick up a camera with the intention of being, first of all, this creative entrepreneur, which maybe is a 
a way you might describe what I do now. I, I picked up a camera with the intention of trying to leave the small town I grew up in because I was, I felt a little trapped. I mean, I think everybody can relate to that, you know, especially with COVID. You know, I remember being kind of 12, 15, 16 years old and just feeling like, man, is there, is there anything else out there beyond the, the imaginary lines of my county that I grew up in? And I think that, you know, being kind of in a blue collar home, you know, stepdad worked really hard and my mom worked really hard. And um, I really got a chance to kind of see that upbringing and, and fairly conservative upbringing, which was, which was great. And I'm grateful for it. But I really wanted to know what else was out there. And so when I picked up a camera, it was more about the idea that maybe this could be my ticket out of here. Like maybe this, and I, and I don't want to make it sound like I was just like, oh, my, my upbringing was, was terrible. You know, it was just more like, what else is out there? How could I see it? What could be the, the catalyst for allowing me to, to get out in the world? And this became the tool. And I think I saw it as that tool from an early age. And granted, that's not what it did immediately. Uh, what it did was threw me into living in my van, or my, sorry, no, no vans back then. This was my living in my old single cab Toyota Tacoma and, uh, and living below poverty level for five years. But uh, it, it gave me a sense of freedom that I had never seen before. And it, it did eventually allow me to see the world. And I, I, I you know, I don't want to just blab on here, but I, I feel like I owe everything to travel. I owe my education. I owe my empathetic nature. I owe my understanding of people and the world and everything to the fact that I was finally gifted with the opportunity to get on a plane and see the world. And I, I feel so indebted to that. And I feel indebted enough to feel like I need to share it. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll maybe come on to this later, depending on time. But from the outside looking in, you know, you're one of the probably the most commercially successful photographers in the space. But that did not come overnight, right? No. <laughs> I wish. That would have been sick. Um, yeah, I, you know, good to define what the space is, which I'd say the space is what we're talking about is uh, adventure photography, maybe, um, and or outdoor sports or, you know, kind of outdoor space. It's hard to really put a pin on it. Um, I've been really lucky to um, have a career that has spanned a number of different kind of different lives, starting an editorial, working with magazines. And I still work with magazines today. And then, you know, migrating into like image licensing, stock licensing, and then migrating now into more commercial work. But it's blessed me to obviously um, manage a team that helps me to do what I do. I just want to say that because it's important to like make people realize that I don't take full credit for what I do. I get a chance to work with an amazing group of people. And oftentimes on these commercial shoots for who knows, you know, Apple or Toyota or Microsoft, there's 50, 60 people, sometimes 100 people, sometimes more, you know? Um, and and it, it's every single one of them that comes to the table to create the thing that we're trying to do. So it's not just me. I, I ride upon the shoulders of, of so many others and I feel indebted to them. Um, but yes, nowadays, I would say that we do run a fairly successful commercial studio and, um, and I also think that uh, I try to stay in my lane. And I don't know, that sounds a little unpunk rock of me because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a, of a rebel, but I, I try to stay in my lane, meaning that I've realized what I like to do. I've realized what I love. And I kind of try to stick to my guns there. And even though I've been given opportunities that some people might just like, might blow their mind, uh, 
And I've turned them down because I think over the years I've started to realize that, you know, and maybe you can relate to this. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I started my career in fight or flight mode. I was just like, oh my gosh, you give, you put a scrap of food in front of me, I'm going to take it. You know, I, I, again, growing up in a blue collar home, you realize the importance of work, the importance of taking every opportunity that comes to you and you, you don't question it. You don't second guess it. You just kind of like go for it. And that is so awesome, but it also creates a, a workaholic mentality that I, I express this as more of a cautionary tale that I, I hope people kind of take my example as one that like, yes, success at times comes with a huge cost. And I just want to be realistic to that. Yeah, no, and it does resonate with me. And I think, I don't know how everybody else feels, but I'm fascinated from by, like the outside looking in perspective with you, you know, whether we talk about Instagram and social media and the presence that you have there, like I'm guessing your life is not easy. I'm guessing you work hard. I'm guessing you always have. And so mm. of course you can say no to projects now that would have blown 15 year old you away because mm. yeah. it's the law of diminishing returns, right? And yeah. I think I'm really interested actually in, you know, you said you found what you love doing and you know what that is. What is that specifically? And when did you work it out? Um, yeah. And so I guess, you know, it, it's tough to define only because um, what I love doing is I, I still love just being outside. <laughs> I still love nature. I still love, you know, nowadays it takes on a different form because I've got two boys I'm trying to raise in a very complicated world. Um, my my role is, you know, as more important is to, to be a good dad, to be a good husband than it is to just to be a, a good boss and a, and a, you know, decent photographer, whatever. But work that gets me to celebrate people, the human achievement amidst the beauty of nature, work that allows me to be in spaces I love. What is a space I love? It is a raw, wild environment. Um, you know, we're having this conversation in a basement at a department store in London, which is amazing, but I would say that maybe this environment is not one of those places, but I also know the importance and I'm very cognizant to the importance of sharing stories. And so over the years, I've found just as much joy in having those wild off the grid, like I'm terrified right now, you know, change your life expeditions and commercial assignments that challenge me and push me as I have found coming to a place like this and speaking and sharing that story. Because I think if there's one thing that I've realized in my career, it's that the importance of sharing a story is, is uh, a testament to what you've learned there. You know what I mean? It's almost like I hold myself to this accountability to like, what did I learn? Did I learn anything? Did I learn anything? And if I learned something, share what that is and articulate what that is and find a way to like, to, to offer it to somebody as a tool for them to learn. And, and I guess I say that because and I don't want to get like just get all personal here, but like I grew up in a single parent home with my mom and me and she sacrificed everything to have me at 16 years old. Like, I don't know how else to describe that. But when I started traveling, I was the only person in my family to travel ever, ever. And so when I brought back these experiences, when I still bring back these experiences and when I share on social media, I'm directly talking to people in my life who haven't had that opportunity. And I'm very aware of what that looks like. And I, I still feel indebted to the sacrifices others made so that I can do this. 
Yeah, it's so fascinating, and I wish we had hours to talk this stuff yeah, through. But I know, sorry, these long. I'm giving you these long answers. No, no, sorry no, no I want the long answers, and you know, maybe we'll have to do another one of these someday. But Part I two. was in this room this morning when you um, were kind of doing your chat to the press and PR guys, mm -hmm. and you know, I've got this up on my phone right now. You said verbatim, I wrote it down. You bleed for an image, and then just put it out on social media and write, "The mountains are calling, and I must go." And you do yourself a huge disservice. Mm. And that just hit me like a freight train. And I wrote it down and thought, "I need to bring <laughs> this up later." Because, yeah. yeah. You know, I don't want to do you a disservice, but I'd say first and foremost, you're known for your imagery, right? Mm. That's what you do. You know, you take incredible photos, you share them with the world. But how much of what you're trying to do and trying to say is actually either the written word or the purpose and message? within that image? Oh, I'd say it's 200%, you know. I can't even express to you how important that is. And, and your example of what I said this morning, absolutely. We, we go out, we fight, we bleed, we, you know, sacrifice everything to tell a good story or to, to, to shoot a good image or to whatever, have a great experience. And then we take to, you know, our phones or our computers or whatever, and we, we go to share that experience or that story or that photo, and we just it's almost like words escape us. And we, we realize we, in that moment, we just decide to steal somebody else's words. You know, the mountains are calling and I must go. Like what, truly what a disservice to yourself as a human being who had emotions and felt things. And, and I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've seen, you know, at the end of a long trip or a hard hike or whatever, it doesn't matter if it's five minutes from your house or 5,000 miles across the globe where they have um, broken down and cried and gotten emotional because they've achieved something or they've felt something or they've seen something or whatever. And I just think we do ourselves a disservice when we don't share a part of that intimate experience. And guess what? I get it. Sometimes that's not the case. We don't need to like bear our soul to strangers, but doesn't the world need a little more vulnerability? Doesn't the world need a little more of that like intimacy with one another? And I think, is there a greater gift you could offer people then like a peek inside what you think and what you feel. And, and I guess to me, uh, when people started complaining about, man, everybody's a photographer these days. I remember like mid 2000s, you know, 2010, 12, it was like, everybody's a photographer nowadays. And like all the older guys, sadly, a lot of guys, not enough girls in this field uh, back then, just complaining. And I just was like, man, like, I don't even want to compete with trying to take better images. I want to compete by trying to offer more of myself within that story. Like I, you and me could go to a, you know, the precipice of some mountain and look around and take the exact same photo. There's not going to be a single difference. The only difference might be my willingness to share a more vulnerable perspective of that experience. To me, that's storytelling. Or the contrast of our experiences. Yes, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now it's so interesting because I, you know, I'm going to be deliberately difficult now, but I do it with kindness. Like from the, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I, from the outside, your life looks perfect. I don't really think that. I'm sure it's not. Yeah. But, you know, travel to all these amazing places, yeah. go home to your lovely family. Mm -hmm. Is it perfect? Um, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't think that uh, anybody needs to hear Chris Burkhardt complain. <laughs> um, my life is pretty damn good. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's, I, I just don't feel like I am, equipped to complain about my situation at all when there are people who are literally just trying to get clean water. Um, I think that what I've, what I've endured to make this life possible is something I'm really proud of. 
I think that nowadays I'm, uh, I'm mature enough to not wear it as a badge of honor as much as I used to be. And if, if, you, if, I, if, you, if I can articulate on that, I think there was a time in my life when I would look at people who were maybe handed things on a, on a silver platter and been really jealous and been really, but, but outwardly it would come out in a different way, you know, and been like, oh, well, pff, that person had every opportunity given to them and I didn't, you know, because I, I didn't. It's just not what, what happened. Um, so nowadays I think I just have a more mature perspective on that and I feel like what we all strive for is a sense of self-worth and we strive for a sense of validity and validation. And sadly, this generation right now, my generation and, and younger, we find that self-worth, that validation, usually on social media. It comes in the form of taps and likes and hearts. And, and I, I think back to like early in my career when I truly received real validation from editors or people I respected or people who were willing to give me hard truths. And that was important to me. That still is important to me. It's important to recognize where real validation comes from, where real acknowledgement of what you're doing and if it's good or if it's bad or whatever. Not just, you know, hearing somebody tell you mindlessly that they, they think you're great or whatever. What does that even mean? I don't fully know. So I don't exactly know where I'm going with this, but I, I just want to say that I think um, I am grateful to have been able to take good criticism in my life. I'm grateful to have been able to, um, you know, rise above, I think, my... Uh, upbringing, I guess you could say. Um, but is my life hard? I don't think it's hard. I think that um, I don't make it easy is what I want to say. I don't make it easy on myself. I could like, and this is going to sound hilarious, but like I could probably just make do and, and pay my bills and put food on the table and be a, be a, you know, good, you know, father and whatnot by just like hawking crappy products on social media by telling you you need to buy a protein powder and whatnot. Um, is that who I am? No. Do I choose to be very, very uh, limited in what I actually promote and advocate for? Yes. Does most of my money still come from hard work and um, projects that I feel meaningful about and stuff that I'm willing to invest my money into? If When nobody else is, absolutely. People would be shocked. When you're given opportunity, I think one of the, the big scary things is that you, or, or not opportunity, but when you're, when you're given um, kind of a, the ability to kind of not stress anymore about money as much, the tendency is to kind of just sit on your hands and sort of like sit on that, that goose egg or that whatever. I've always found that it's crucial to, to reinvest in your own creativity like all the biggest projects I've ever done, the films, I, I mean, I've, I've run my bank accounts nearly dry, funding them myself because nobody else believed in that. You don't get to some random number on social media where all of a sudden everything you've dreamt of just happens or like you, you get like free cars and houses. Like, no, it doesn't happen like that. Like if I want to fight for a project, I have to be willing to put up the money. Like I have to be willing to, to pay for that book to get made. Like it doesn't just happen naturally. And in, in fact, I think that me being successful has been because I've been comfortable with risk and be comfortable with a certain element of risk. I actually feel more risky running my business in the way that I have, meaning that I am going to go to that place in the middle of nowhere where like 
nobody's ever surfed this wave. And I remember doing that at, at 22 years old, freshly married, spending money that we didn't have because the magazine I worked for wouldn't pay for it. Like that's risk. Your wife looks at you and she's like, how are we gonna pay for this? And I'm like, trust me, this is gonna work out. And you're putting it all on the line. Like that's terrifying. And that's what it took to start this career path. And I think nowadays, obviously I don't need to take as severe of a risk, but I'm, I'm still that person. I'm still the one who's willing to believe in my projects when maybe somebody else is saying no. So I guess in some weird roundabout way, I'm just trying to say like life ain't easy, uh, but I love it and I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, and also it's not about comparing oneself to others necessarily, but like, you know, the person that you are now is built on that concrete foundation, right? That's who you've yeah. become. And there's a huge amount of pride to be found in that. But yeah. I, I don't know, something you said just then made me realize, and this is the quickest story ever, but <laughs> I recently made a mistake with a commercial partner. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to admit that most of this podcast audience know that I did that. It was on this podcast and I owned it. I was like, I made a mistake. I'm going to learn from this and not do it again. Mm. Because actually I've found over the past three or four years, I've found immense pride and purpose in actually saying no. Like mm. what, what we say no to defines us as much as what we say yes to, right? Absolutely. Amen to that. That's like some of the best advice I ever learned from, from reading a book actually. <laughs> like, yeah, truly. Yeah. And like when you're, you know, we, we've had different lives and different journeys, but there's some similarities and like, you're fighting tooth and nail at the start mm. because it's a hard industry to break. Yeah. But once you do get enough of a foothold, say no to things and do the things you love is yeah. a good lesson. Right. And I think that there's something to be said for the fact that art should still feel in some ways like uh, like a risk. Like it, it should be hard. It, 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 it should be the boldest thing that anybody could do is like in this day and age, besides, you know, fight for someone you love or whatever. Um, is to do art, put yourself out there, put your heart on a platter and put it in front of, of the world, not knowing what they're going to think or feel. And I would just say to young artists, like I question myself through that lens still. I hope that they are too. I hope that the copy and paste technique of what we see nowadays um, online and other things is, is something that we take into consideration. You know, are we actually striving to uh, put ourselves in situations that, that um, scare us, that provides some sense of mystery, that provides some sense of like, I don't know what I'm gonna find out there. Because if I told every single person who, who asked me, every person that came to me who said, hey, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of my, these two careers, I really wanna pursue photography, but right now I'm in you know, the X, Y, or Z job or whatever it is. And if I told every person, hey, I guarantee you in five years, you're gonna make it, they would all do it. Yeah, I could, I could, I could subject myself to some, you know, hardship for five years, but there's no, there is no guarantee. It's just not real. And so I think just to consider, you know, what does that actually mean in terms of like, you know, being willing to go out and create something special or something meaningful or to commit to this as a career path, like it should be scary. It should never just be full of complacency, you know? And I, and I, and I remind myself of that, like at the point that you're a successful artist, does that mean you've stopped making art? The point you're, you're willing to stop taking risks or your risks seem manageable, does that mean you've stopped making art? Like I, I question that every, like legitimately every day. Even like what I say on podcasts, I question it because I think com communication is an art form. What am I willing to say? What am I willing to share? How honest am I willing to be? Am I taking risks right now? Am I gonna get canceled? Fuck, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe I will. I don't, I don't know, but, but 
playing it safe is just not what artists were designed to do. No. And I'm sure you do too, but I know quite a few people who, and I don't mean this unkindly, who I would put into this kind of struggling artist mentality who they see commercial success as a failure. And so they're mm. always fighting tooth and nail to get from month to month. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do not want that. I'm sure you don't, especially with kids. But it is a difficult thing kind of thinking, am I a sellout? Mm. You know, am I still working for me? And mm. I interviewed this incredible woman who's become a friend, Sophie Roberts. She's a writer and author. And she said, um, lots of writers write for the sake of writing. I mean, she phrased it much better than I'm yeah, about to. Yeah, of course, yeah. They, they write to write. I write to be read. Mm. And I thought that was quite an interesting distinction. And I think it's true of filmmakers, photographers, etc. Given everything you've just said, are you making art? Am I take <laughs> <laughs> no, I have asked someone that before. You but... should. That's a great question. <laughs> I would. I love that question, though. I mean, excellent, excellent, um, excellent. You know, example with the writer. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, I'll just ask myself that question. Like, am I a sellout? How do I manage the commercial aspects of my job, you know, versus um, some of the more uh, passionate things that I, I do? And I think that they can coexist. I think it's possible for them to coexist. I think that when I was just purely a photographer, and I tell people this all the time, because the question always comes up, how do you deal with burnout? How do you deal with creative burnout, right? And I think this, these, are, these questions are in tandem. So for me, when I was just a photographer and it was my only tool for expression, and then that tool became a tool for making income, and that tool became a tool for finding commercial success and whatnot, I felt so limited, so limited. I remember like when I, early in my career, I was working for Patagonia, uh, shooting surfing, I was on retainer for them, and I found climbing through Patagonia, the brand, because some of the people there were climbing, obviously, and I was like, oh my God, I have an outlet oh my gosh, like I have another outlet. And I just got obsessed with climbing. I would climb every single day to the point where like I was missing waves and missing shooting, surfing, which was my career at the time to climb. And I just remember feeling so refreshed. And nowadays I'm like, okay, I need to have other outlets. Critical for me. Um, with that comes the opportunity to find other creative outlets. Doesn't mean that those can't become your job or your role, but now it is, the ability to arm myself, my tool belt with, you know, public speaking and making films and doing podcast and uh, giving, you know, business consult and, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The camera, it's just in my bag over there. It's not this thing where I'm like, oh, I'm so insecure. I need to put the camera between you and me because this is my only way to filter a complicated world. And I use that example, that nervous kid uh, example, because that was me. That's what I did. The first time I traveled to, on a plane anywhere was to Dubai and Yemen and Oman. I had no freaking business being there. I had no idea how to like filter a complicated world. And these weren't unsafe places at the time um, and they necessarily aren't now, but like I, I just didn't know how to deal. And so I guess what I'm saying is I'm advocating for people to expand their communicative tools, find other ways to express oneself. Everything you've just said really resonates with me. And I don't know if you agree with this, but I often look at it as a kind of Robin Hood mentality where I don't want to work with, you know, Shell or people that really are destroying the planet. But sometimes we have to take the commercial work, sell out, mm. do what we need to do so yeah. that we can fund these projects like your film about your friend. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. if we're the struggling artists, suddenly those projects aren't doable. 
I think where you become a sellout is when you aren't pouring your time into those other things. Because it, it's possible. It's possible for me to just purely only book commercial work where I'm working for clients or brands or whoever, where I'm just like, ah, whatever, this is just blah, blah, You're not even, it's not even really a sellout thing. I think a sellout is more so when you're, you're advocating or selling things or promoting things you simply don't believe in to make a buck. Like my question and my sort of uh, exam, internal exam I give myself is if I'm, if I'm promoting something personally, um, do I use it? Do I care about it? Is it, is it something that I'm, I'm, you know, behind the scenes, I'm actually utilizing? Yeah, like that, that it has to pass that filter. Secondly, if I'm shooting for a company, um, you know, really there's not much in this world I wouldn't photograph outside of, you know, probably, you know, cigarettes and alcohol, you know, certain things. I mean, um, I, I've, I've done uh, my fair share, uh, but it's not something that I necessarily like am proud of and just from a moral perspective, it's just not something that I believe in. So I think that there has to be a moral compass of some sort. Because um, being a sellout is a, is a funny word and it's a funny term. And I, the, way I, the way I frame it is if that's all you're doing and there's no room for that self-exploration or those projects that do keep you up at night, you're dreaming about, that fuel you passionately, then that, it's, it's a funny one because it's kind of more of an internal thing. You know, people can point the finger and people always do. People love to online. You know, they really know you on there. People love to point <laughs> the finger. They don't know though. Like, I think it's really an internal thing and I think it, it, it will remain an internal thing uh, for a long time until you come to terms with it. You know, I'm, I'm just, I think I'm the hardest on myself. Self-examiner for sure. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, and that's common, right? And it's, you know, yeah. everyone's a critic. Yeah. Someone said to me once, 1% of people will love what you do, 1% will hate what you do, and 98% just don't care. Exactly. 98% are just there to observe and like be like, well, oh, cool, I'm just, yeah whatever. Passing through. Yeah. I mean, isn't that so funny too? It's so, it's so in our human nature to like gravitate towards the negativity when collectively 99.99999% of the time, what I'm sharing or doing or whatever, people have nothing but positivity to say about it. And then the one, the zero, zero point one percent people are maybe negative or whatever. I'm just like, why is that our, why is that the way we operate? Why are we so like, you know, you know, this is such like a biblical phrase, but like a dog, like looking at its own vomit, you know, kind of thing. Like it's just a weird mentality. And, and you know, sometimes you can learn from those things and those are important. It's, a, it's important to observe mistakes. It's important to not think you're above it, but truly like, why do we, why do we obsess over it at times? It's crazy. I think it's human nature, but also particularly with creative industries and like oh, creative pursuits, like you said a minute ago about um, it's one of the bravest things you can do, I think is how you phrased it. Yeah. Or, and I think that's totally right. And when you give so much of yourself to something and then put it out in the world and say, hey, look, here's a thing. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I bled and I sweated and I mm. fought for this and somebody doesn't like it or somebody mm. has something negative to say, you have to be pretty tough to yeah. not let that land. Dude, you do. And you know, you need to have a thick skin. And I think that this is where it's hard. You know, to be, to be honest, this is the most complicated part of this exercise we call life is learning to be vulnerable while at the same time learning to let things roll off your back or have a thick skin because they, they don't coincide. Something that is, you know, vulnerability at its core is meant to be like something that is, you know, soft and malleable and, and you know, and sensitive, right? As opposed to the opposite, which is like, oh, it's just, I got a thick skin. It's going to roll off my back. I don't care. Words can't hurt me. Like those things don't normally coexist. And so what a, what a challenge it is to find that balance and strike that balance. I mean, I, I haven't achieved that. I don't know how to deal with it yet, to be honest. I'm trying to figure it out myself. I think it's a lifelong game, yeah. but and maybe it keeps you, us, and the collective us on our toes. I don't know. Totally. But I think we've spoken a lot about creativity and photography, and obviously that's linked to a lot of what we'll talk about and everything you do, but it sounds from what you've said like the root to all of this was finding that escape tool and that fire exit almost. Mm-hmm. If you take, not if you take away the photography, I don't like that way of phrasing it, but like when you go on these adventures, expeditions, explorations, how much of that these days is about you being in a place and enjoying that experience versus seeing it through a lens? Huh. You know, it's it's critical for me to have both. Um, You know, I I still strive to do expeditions um, that are totally unrelated to photography, as in like my job is not to be there as a photographer. My job is to be there as a participant does that mean I'm not being creative? No, not at all. In fact, I would say everything I do is, is done through a creative lens. And what I mean by that is like, if I'm going to do a bike pack rafting trip on the Iceland, on the South coast of Iceland, you know, crossing 48 rivers and blah, 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 I'm still bringing a GoPro, you know, I'm still filming. I'm still shooting with my little Sony point and shoot. I'm also producing the project. I'm also trying to work with a production company to make a film. So I am creatively involved very deeply to me, there's creativity in building the route. There's creativity in getting prepped. Like all those things are creative because guess what? Like I get to go and do speaking assignments around that experience and prepare others for their trip like that or their expedition or their whatever, right? And that's, that's super fulfilling. Um, does that give me more validity as maybe a, um, an, an adventurer? Uh, maybe, I don't really know. But the point being is like to just say, Oh yeah, you know, I, I I only you know, I only go I do these trips and I don't bring a camera and my I'm just totally subjected to the you know the athletic pursuit. That's just not true. I think that as and again I think that it all comes back to this lens where you know no pun intended where if I filter my work my life through these different creative lenses that I get to use you know speaking blah blah everything everything I do can in some way be filtered through one of those lenses. And then everything I do can in some way be, I hate to use this word, but like monetized or like used as a tool to then further my work, my business, my whatever. Even like I'm a parent. I raised two boys. I made a children's book. It's a really good, uh, well-selling product. It's in national park stores. And it's been one of my highest, you know, grossing books I've ever done. I didn't intend for that. In fact, I just made a book purely out of the intention of making a book for my kids. I was like, this is rad. I have an opportunity. I should do this. 
I didn't expect it to have success. But people read the story and they found success in that. So, so I guess what I'm saying is like my life as a parent is sort of, it, it informs that decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it informs that decision and that success is now kind of a derivative of the, my learnings as a parent. Cause that's how I wrote it, right? I didn't just come up with a children's book. I was thinking about things I wanted my kids to learn, issues that they were having, you know, uh, informing this book through parenting. And now it's a tool. So I guess I'm just trying to give you a far left field example of how it is true that like everything that I feel like I get to do, I can in some capacity try to turn it around into a creative pursuit. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting the way you phrase it. And, you know, part of why I love doing this is because I get to have this one-on-one and I learn so much from these. But one, one side is that creative pursuit, but the other side, and you used the word earlier, is like entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. I think it's maybe a really trite or cliche thing to say, but for those who have that sort of brain, being an entrepreneur or entrepreneurship is this is so cheesy, but in the it's it's an adventure <laughs> I love in how and you're of like its pre crazy. Yeah, no, I know, <laughs> I am. I can hear it in my brain. But um it's it's an adventure and a journey in and of itself. Yeah. And like building things is really, really exciting. Dude, tell me about it. I mean, the amount of times I've tried to build something and it's crumbled, the amount of times I've like put myself out there in a freaking meeting with, you know, business execs from a from a <laughs> financial firm or a production studio trying to sell a project and just to get shut down. Like I still do stuff that like really humbles me. You know, I still put myself in situations that really, you know, uh, puts a nice gouge into my ego and, and scares me. And, you know, every day parenting will do that, but, um, it is, it is an, it, entrepreneurship is an adventure. Risk taking is an adventure. I'm not like a, uh, I'm not a, you know, I don't revel in the idea of taking risks and, 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 doing that. But I, I do think that there is a critical aspect of like, it's a necessity to learn from those things. Take enough, take enough swings that you're going to have some misses so that you, you know, recollect. And sometimes it means, you know, walking away, struck out. Like that's just what happens. I've had to help go back to the drawing board. I really like what you said earlier about like, oh, I made this, you know, business decision and I was the one to blame. And yet, do you know how many times I've done that? And do you know how like, I'm eager to say when I've messed up. Like, I, I truly am. I'm like, yeah, I blew it. Like, this was me. This was all me. I totally blew it. And, and I think that more than that, even looking back at like, why did I blow it? I blew it because of this, 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 and this. Maybe that's not relevant for some people, but for me and my own internal, uh, you know, sort of business brain, it's critical to look back at certain things, why they weren't successful, why they were, and identify yeah, and sometimes like we don't need to turn this into a therapy session, but <laughs> that decision I made not that long ago, you know, I I received quite a lot of criticism, and also lots of more people said, "Don't worry about it; it's not a thing." But enough people I respect didn't like it, mm. and what I could have done is ignored it, or backtracked, or fought my corner, and instead turning around and saying, "You're right. Here's why I made that decision, mm-hmm. and I regret it." and it was a bad decision and I'm going to learn from it. Mm. The amount of personal power in that, like it's, this is therapy speak, but forgiving yourself for mm. the mistakes to- and learning from totally. them. You're not fooling anybody no, else no. other than yourself. Yeah. If you have. That's oh, powerful. It is. Like yeah. you're, you're totally like, you're spot on. Like that is a powerful thing. Yeah. I don't know. And when we, you know, when we met this morning, we talked, I'm going to kind of segue us now. I'm very conscious of time, but <laughs> 
we were talking, you know, five meters over there and I was saying to you, I feel like I'm in love with two things which are wholly incompatible, that being mm. travel, expeditions, filmmaking, and my family. Mm. Is that the same for you? And how do you juggle those two mm. things? That's a great question. I think that uh, absolutely they, I think they're compatible. I think that there's a, there's a tipping point though, for sure. I did a podcast with my wife and so I would be ill-equipped to really fully answer this question without her because just my perspective being, you know, I guess you could say like the breadwinner and, you know, the me is, is I'm one part of the whole, right? Um, I've been married since I was 21. My wife uh, knew me, saw me, witnessed me, uh, you know, like fight tooth and nail to create this as a career. So I have a unique situation in that, she um, was very cognizant and aware of like what I sacrificed to make this into a career path. Um, I recorded a podcast with her that really dives into both our perspectives, like what it's like to be on her end, what it's like to be on my end. And I guess I would say that the, um, for me, there is an aspect to like going and doing expeditions and even just training for the expedition, going and doing the expedition. I mean, most expeditions, like what are we even talking about? Like you're going to go, you know, climb some unclimbed peak in Greenland. Like it's at the, at the end of the day, it's like a five week trip. You know, it's like a month, maybe like, you know, maybe, maybe six weeks. You know, that's a, that's a, or like 10 days, something around there, right? That's not unrealistic. You know, you can go and do that, but what becomes Challenging is all the hours and time you have to spend training for that beforehand that adds up to way more time where you're like, I got to take off this weekend because I got to go do this. I got to go take off. I got to wake up early. I can't watch the kids. I can't blah, blah. That's really tough, you know, with anything I've ever done in the cycling space. Like it, it consumes everything. I'm waking up at 4 a.m. just so that I can get a couple hours of riding in so that I can then be there to help out with the kid, drop off at school. It's gnarly. It's, it really is. And I, and I, to be honest, I've had to turn down work a lot at times to create space for that preparation. But I also know that expeditions are key to who I am and, and or that self-discovery that comes with it fuels my creativity, allows me to have, again, um, op entrepreneurial opportunities, uh, keeps sponsors happy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a benefit to it. And, and she gets that and I see that. But um, I guess I just, in summation, what I want to say is the, the one crux I see is that you get these relationships where you have one partner who has a career path that requires them or asks them to go out and experience whatever, or they're a professional athlete and they're like, I'm a, a you know, triathlon, you know, Ironman runner, whatever, whatever, you know, Ironman dude, girl, whatever. Uh, and they have to spend a lot of time training or whatever it is, or somebody like myself, who's out, you know, shooting and on assignment and this and that. And, and I keep in mind, like what I'm doing is not for fun. I'm just going to put that straight out there. Like I, I, it is fun for me, but every time I step on a plane, I'm very conscious that it is first and foremost somehow related to work. I just, I think that the workaholic aspect of who I am um, is a hard beast to slay and I just don't know how else to look at it. But what I'm getting at here is that if I go out or my wife goes out and has this mind-altering, life-changing experience out in the ends of the earth. Oh my gosh, just changed the way I saw everything. I'm not even the same person anymore. You come home and you're just like, you just want to unload this sack of just, you know, emotion and everything onto your partner. That is uh, incredibly selfish. And I think that what ends up happening is that people think that the answer is like, you come home and you just 
you, you scoop up your kids, you create no time to kind of, first of all, come back to reality. There's no, there's no like kind of, uh, no space for landing at all. And then you're like, oh, honey, um, you deserve a week in Palm Springs with the girls. Like, that's great. Maybe that's what the person needs. No offense to Palm Springs, no offense to people who love to do that. But, but in, an, in, a, in a relationship where one person is truly having these, this um, ethereal kind of, um, you know, beautiful life-changing experience, you need to foster some way for your partner to have the same because you're never going to meet on the same playing field. You're never going to meet on the same, and I don't mean one person is above the other. I just mean that you're never going to get on the same wavelength unless you do. So for me, it's critical that when I come home and when I've adapted, I'm, I'm creating time and I'm sitting with her and I'm saying, okay, well, what, what is the thing that you want to do? What is the thing you want to work toward? What is the thing you want to learn? What is the goal you have? And how can I support that? So that then you can have your thing. And for her, it might be like, oh, I want to go do this equine therapy master's course. Um, you know, can you watch the kids and, you know, do this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, of course, like, that's what I want because that's how we meet on the same level. And there's really nothing else to say about that. Um, and I'm not saying it's a perfect solution. I'm just saying this is our solution. Yeah. I mean, it's inspiring in many ways, like that you make it work because it, it is a struggle, right? Yeah. It's imperfect. It would be much easier for you if you just spent your life shooting surf photographs in California forever. Yeah, way more chill. Yeah, home, at, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, home for, you know, gone for a couple of days at a time, but, you know, life pulls me across the world and luckily my kids are at an age where I can take them now. Yeah. Quite a bit. I travel with my family a decent amount. I've, prov I've, seen, I've seen travel and culture change them and that's beautiful. To be honest, selfishly, I want to revisit places and experiences and things that I've done and, and see it take hold and see it have the same effect that it had on me. That's fulfilling. Like that's full circle. I love that. I think that travel is a drug, a very dangerous one that if left unchecked, you just fill your passport with stamps to going to places that you, you think you're having a life-changing experience when really you're just shooting photos, driving 60 miles an hour out the window and, and having this incredible dopamine-filled experience, but are you actually immersing yourself in those places? Maybe people who are better than me can do that. I can't. I need to give time to a place. I need to immerse myself. I need to understand a culture more, which is why I go back to places and I don't just try to fill the passport. Yeah, and it's something you've talked about a lot, so we're not going to go into detail today because yeah. you can find it elsewhere, but your love of Iceland is obviously... I'd say in a way it's defined part of what you do now. Totally. And again, somebody clever who I interviewed, much cleverer than me, um, we were talking about our lack of sense of place. And he said, you're asking the wrong question. Like, where are you from? That's not the question. The question is, where do you belong to? Mm. And I was like, fuck, that's amazing. Like, think, I'm going to cut this out and rework that just so that I <laughs> ask it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a good question. <laughs> it is. And um, I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask? Yeah. But given your love of Iceland, your love of California, your sense of place, where do you belong to? Um, that's a great question. I don't even honestly know if I have the answer there because um, for so long the road has been a part of my life, um, being on the road, and home has been this place of reprieve for me. And um, as I've had kids, that's changed because I've realized the importance of giving them a foundation. 
And so I think that I belong to wherever they are. That's the most important thing. I belong to where my family is um, because that's my most important role. But their adaptability can evolve. It can change. And it can allow me, us, them, et cetera, to, to exist in a whole different kind of, a whole different group of places that I think I, as a kid, um, would never have been as malleable to, to exist in. And so I think that's what I'm really trying to do is create uh, a family and, uh, you know, it sounds funny to say create, but, but to foster um, a relationship that my kids have with different environments. It took me a long time to really um, understand the way the world works and maybe um, how different cultures um, operate the way they do. And I just want to give my kids the option, the option that I never had to maybe um, choose to potentially grow up somewhere different in a different environment, in a, in a culture that, you know, celebrates community and looks out for each other and so on and so forth, which is obviously why Iceland has become really important to me. Um, but Iceland is more of just a physical location. The experience I'm trying to create isn't one that I think is defined by just one geographical place. Like them being there and having this kind of gateway drug to European culture is really beautiful. And that extends then to other places, other cultures, other broadening um, of their horizons. And that's kind of, I think, I guess, you know, <laughs> in long-winded answer where I belong. Yeah, amazing. So one thing I really wanted to ask you about, and I don't know if you're comfortable talking about this. If not, you can tell me, but are you religious? I am, yeah. I grew up, I grew up uh, unreligious and then around like eight years old, um, I was... Uh, I was, you know, in a single parent home, didn't have a dad around at that time, me and my mom. And I would spend endless hours with this Tongan family, really close family of mine, William now, who I went to school with and um, basically would go over to their house. And it was like, I just became a part of their family. <laughs> like I was legit just in the family and they would go to church and I'd go to church and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I grew up LDS. Um, and I guess I say I grew up because from the age of eight to, to now, I've, I've, you know, partaken in that religion. And my relationship with religion has changed and evolved over the years pretty dramatically. And I don't mean that to say that like my beliefs have changed, just, just the, the way that I've viewed it, the way that I've seen it. Um, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, I don't subscribe to the idea that um, there's just this one true religion out there. When you, when you study you know, the world, <laughs> and you realize the atrocities that have been done in the name of every religion, it's, it's, a, little, um, it's a little hard to, to process sometimes. I feel like anything that, that advocates for us to do good and to do good to others and to be empathetic, I am, I am in support of. Um, and I know that every religion has a long ways to go. That's, that's the one thing. I don't think there's anything perfect. Um, I, don't, I don't personally um, think my religion is perfect, um, <laughs> but I do think that there are, there are people striving for that and trying to figure it out. And um, yeah, I think that my relationship with, um, with my creator is near and dear to my heart. I'm probably something I don't share enough, but it is uh, something that does fuel me and give me perspective and has been a guiding light in some capacity for me. Yeah, and before I ask my next question, I think there's some clarity required. Like, I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. I was brought up an atheist. I have remained an atheist, but I'm in no way anti-theist. Yeah. And I, you know, like you, mm -hmm. uh, travel yeah, a yeah, lot, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I love um, different cultures and communities. 
and there's a lot of good to be found in some religions. Yeah. Well, many religions, most religions. Um, but I I'm, feel like if I wasn't religious, I would be an atheist. I would be like atheist in the idea that like, I am anti-organized religion. I am pro people believing in something bigger than themselves, and but anti the organization. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's a really weird, it's, I, I don't even know, know if there's a, a, a thing for that, but I just, you, do you know what I mean? Cause yeah. like, I think that, and I'm sorry to steal what you're saying, but but people tend to start to create this relationship with religion where it's all about the building you go to and it's all about the ties you pay and it's all about who you worship with and it's all, it's all, it's all. It's like, what about the fact that that at the core of every religion, you were given this incredible world to explore and to spend time in. And isn't this a gift of the most like highly regarded art you could ever consider? And like, what are we doing to um, celebrate that? What are we doing to like appreciate that? What are we doing for others to make sure they can appreciate it? You know, and I just think like, the organization gets in the way sometimes. Yeah, I'm, and yeah, this is a big conversation for another day. But yeah. <laughs> I'm, I struggle with hyper-organized religion, totally. but I love religion in and of itself. I mean, some of the most welcome I have ever felt is amongst religious communities totally. whilst traveling. And, you know, Bedouin tribesmen in Wadi Rum, yes, I have my issues with maybe how women are treated in that part of the world, but looking at those landscapes through the lens of the people I'm traveling mm. with mm. who believe what they believe yeah. completely changes the experience. And I think that's what I was curious to ask is, do you think that having a creator being mm. religious alters your experience of a landscape, which is something that you, you know, photograph, spend your time in? I, I think so, maybe. It's hard because I don't really know any other way to look at it at this point in my life. I can't go back to like before I was eight and be like, what did I think? You know, cause I wasn't in those landscapes, but now being in the places that I find myself and looking around, I don't feel like, wow, this was all created for me. I think, wow, this is all created for us. And I feel like my job or responsibility is to enjoy it and to find joy, right? That, that is, I think the pursuit of human beings and to spread joy so that others can actually feel the joy. So it, to me, it's not like, hey, guess what? This is so beautiful. This is so amazing. You're going to love it. You just have to, you know, subscribe to this religion and then you get to enjoy it. It's more like I, this was gifted to us and um, I feel so grateful to experience it. I want to spread the joy. That's, I think to me, that is at the core of what religion is about. It's about spreading joy. And that takes a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's an empathetic form. Sometimes it's a celebratory form. Sometimes, sometimes you have to fight for it, right? Like, but I think that's at the core of what it's about. So I look at it from that lens. And I, as I said, my relationship with religion has changed because you know Chris at 22 years old would have said something very different, you know? <laughs> I suppose that's part of the fun. Yeah, I mean, it is. We need to be malleable. Like it's a part of being vulnerable. The vulnerability comes from learning to shift your perspective. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a huge, important part of life. Yeah, that's hard to disagree with. Yeah. I'm very conscious of time. So I always, in fact, we're out of time. Yeah. I always end these podcasts with two questions. Cool. Answer them as succinctly as you like. <laughs> um, the first is what scares you? Mm. There are things that scare me that are like physical things, like, ooh, don't really want to come into contact with a great white shark. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really not scared at this point in my life. And I don't know how else to say that. 
other than like the only fears I, I, I really have are for others, less for myself. I don't know how else to put that. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm some, you know, fucking weirdo, Navy SEAL, like egomaniacal, like I'm not scared of anything. I, I'm, I'm scared of things, but, but what scares me, like there's not something that keeps me up at night that I dream about that I get scared of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a difference. I think there's a big difference there. I, I get scared for others, but I don't, I'm not really like a um, anxious person. I don't get anxiety. Um, I, I really hope that the people around me, the people I love get to really enjoy full lives and experience everything I've experienced. I almost get scared of like missing out. That's, I have, I get serious FOMO, like serious FOMO, like if that, but not in an anxious way, more just like, ah, there's not enough time in the year. Why did I sign up for so many stupid races or things like that? <laughs> um, and so, but, but I, I, I'm, I've really come to terms with the idea of like what I've done in my life, what I've done in my career, uh, my self-worth and the reward that comes from that. And I feel like grateful for that. And, and I try to focus on the gratitude more than I try to focus on the fear. What brings you hope? Mm, hope that there will be good, good men in the world. And I mean that in the sense of like mankind, not men. I mean that like, but, but I also do mean that from the perspective of like good men. Like I just, I think that there is, there is, um, I have hope that people will treat each other with love and with kindness and look out for their neighbor and find more empathy in the world. Um, and uh, I think that from the perspective of a storyteller and a creative person, I lean upon that community as maybe um, someone to help shine a light on those things and how we can use these tools, the tools that I have, um, as a way to kind of uh, translate that, that joy, that hope, those things. It's a complicated one. I mean, it gives me hope. And I, and I think I say that because I have two boys and I look, I look to them to be examples, but I also hold responsibility for myself to, to help guide that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the hope. I, I just know that if I can do my part, raising people that are kind and this and that, then maybe <laughs> by some osmosis, you know, that will translate to others too. Yeah. We could definitely use some better raised men in yeah. the world. That yeah. would be a good start. Yeah. Ace. Cool. All right. You're a legend. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for listening. For more information, head to the Adventure Podcast.co.uk. If you want to get in touch, then you can email me at matt at terraincognita.studio. And finally, as always, please do leave us an honest review on iTunes. 